0: following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Welcome this evening. We're glad that you are participating with us. And uh, you folks online may have the distinction of outnumbering us who are here, at least at the moment. But that's the danger of starting very close to on time here at fellowship bible church you may miss a few <laughs> until a few minutes into the service let's turn our bibles to isaiah 26 please isaiah and 26 i can't hear your pages turning at home so i'm going to have to assume you're getting there chapter 26 in that day this song will be sung in the land of judah we have a strong city God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength, for he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city. He lays it low, he lays it low to the ground, he brings it down to the dust, the foot shall tread it down the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, O most upright, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. O Lord our God, masters besides you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead, they will not live. They are deceased, they will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them, and made all their memory to perish. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near the time of her delivery. So have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Here's a very clear uh, kind of exposition, if you will, of the doctrine of resurrection. The dead will live in the nation of Israel. Verse 20, come my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. And thus ends chapter 26 kind of quickly there. But we're grateful for that section and the great encouragement that it gives. All right, we're going to invite the young people to go to their Truth Tracker's class and uh, recite those verses. And then in a moment, we're going to invite Jansen to come and share the Word with us. Brother, we're looking forward to the Word. It will be a little bit different than what he's been doing, I think, which is good. Uh, He will finish up his series in Galatians very soon. But... uh, Starting something new today. Brother, come on up. We'll switch spots. (laughs) Good evening. It's good to see you this evening.
1: The pastor is right as he's alluded to. Uh, We're not going to turn to Galatians tonight. Maybe you were expecting that if you've been with us for, oh now, over a year. uh, Almost a year and a half since I started that study in Galatians. It's hard to believe. Uh, But that is true and we're Hopefully Wednesday, going to conclude our time there. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, uh, I decided that we will step our way into a near, new series this evening that will begin and hopefully work our way through in the coming weeks and months ahead. However much time it will take us. Uh, but this evening, uh, we are going to turn to the Old Testament and to uh, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, and we're going to begin our a study in this book. Uh, this evening, uh, we'll hopefully you can stick with me because uh, although we will cover a little bit of the first few verses of Ruth, uh, primarily we're going to be doing an introduction to this book to help us understand the context in which uh, these events are happening and the timeline and time frame of the book of Ruth as well as some of the key concepts as well as the purpose for which the author has written this book and uh, the themes that we find Here in the book of Ruth. Hopefully that's given you enough time to uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Ruth. And uh, the book of Ruth is sandwiched in our canon between the book of Judges, which describes a time period of Israel's history in which judges ruled as both political leaders and spiritual examples to the people of Israel under God's theocratic reign and rulership. And between First and Second Samuel, which introduces the beginning of Israel's monarchy under the rule of Saul, David, Solomon, and so forth. And uh, this is somewhat important, although we won't touch on that specific reason why why it's uh, why it's landed between these two books here. Uh, but that is the case, and we'll leave it to rest for now. I want to begin uh, by help having us look at some of the historical. Cultural setting in which Ruth is uh, in when it's written. And first of all, I want to talk about some of the the kind of the timeline of events or the time of the events in which uh, we find in Ruth and when they took place. So, as we think about this, uh, the first clue in determining the time of events uh, is in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1. If you'll look with me there, let me read it to you. This evening here, it says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, Now it came to pass, that is, the events that are about to unfold, in the days when the judges ruled. The reader here is told that the beginning of the events of Ruth took place in the days when the judges ruled. And uh, let me turn back just for a moment for our help and understanding to Judges chapter 2. And in Judges chapter 2, if I can get there, in verse 16, we see this description here. Judges chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them, that is, uh, the nation of Israel, out of the hand of those who plundered them. Remember now, Israel and Judah are one nation at the time. They haven't uh, split into two different uh, groups in the north of the south, so we speak collectively here. Verse 17, Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. Verse 18, And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. Verse 19, And it came to pass when the judge was dead, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. If uh, this were to be a study in the book of Judges, I would talk about the cyclical kind of pattern that took place in the, uh, t- this time period where uh, the people of Israel would be living in uh, disobedience God, worshiping other false gods, God would, uh, his kindle, his anger would be kindled, he would judge them through secondary means, we could maybe say through nations, and what would happen? The people would repent, they would groan, they would complain to God for this oppression, Uh, and God would have mercy, they would repent, and uh, in that kind of complacency of, of peace, they would fall back into their sinful patterns, and such would be the pattern during the time of the judges. That's just kind of a side note, though, for your thought and for your understanding. Verse 20, we'll read through 23 here. Judges chapter 2, verse 20. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, "...because this nation has transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died." So that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. By reading that, I hope you understand a little bit of the context, both the political context and the spiritual context of the people of Israel during the time in which the events of Ruth unfolded. Remember, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 said that these events occurred during this time when the judges ruled. Now, this introductory note here in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, added by the author, helps us date the general time period in which these events took place here in Ruth. However, it's kind of a general note because if you think about it, the time span between the first judge, Othniel, in Judges chapter 3, and the and the last one, Samson, in Judges chapter 13 through 16, covers roughly 300 years of history. Approximately, we might say, 1380 BC to 1050 BC. So, approximately 30, 300 years uh, of time has is uh, of a time frame here in which Ruth could have taken place. So, yes, the author has helped us hint at a kind of a clue here. But it leaves us kind of speculating, okay, when? Is this the beginning? Is this in the middle or at the end of the time of the judges? Uh, Therefore, in order to get a little bit of a narrower time frame, uh, we have to look elsewhere. And actually, there is another place in the book of Ruth that we can look to help us understand kind of a narrower time frame in which these events may have occurred. And that is at the end of Ruth in chapter 4. So if you'll turn with me there. To Ruth chapter 4 and in verse 17. Here in the the final words of uh, this narrative, the author gives us another clue um, in which we can derive maybe a narrower time frame in which these events took place. And he does this by giving us a genealogy. Of course, uh, I don't think this, uh, and I'll later, when we get to this uh, in our study, I'm going to argue that the reason that he gave this gene, gene, genealogy, excuse me, is not just to help us uh, with the time frame, but there is a other kind of primary purpose in which he has uh, given us this genealogy. But I won't uh, spoil the beans, so to speak, right now on that. Let's. Uh, but let me just read for you this genealogy, beginning in verse 17. He says, "Also the neighbor women gave him a name. That is the son of uh, Ruth." saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, in verse 18, it says, Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot uh, Nashon, and Nashon begot Salem, Salem. Salomon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Verse 22, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. So when we look at this genealogy, we find uh, that uh, David, King David, that is, is only about three genealogies out or away from uh, the time of Boaz and uh, Ruth, his wife. And uh, just as another point, I do believe that this is a complete genealogy here that's being given. In some cases, uh, in other genealogies, we do see occurrences where uh, for, the, for the purpose in which the author is giving the genealogy, he won't always name each, uh, each, each uh, forefather or person specifically. Sometimes he skips generations. And... Um, but in this case, I do believe it's a complete genealogy, which again would mean that David is roughly three, three generations out from Boaz. So with that clue, uh, if you were to add up generally the years in which each of these men lived, uh, we we could probably uh, argue on a good solid basis that this happened, uh, the time frame in which the events of Ruth took place would be in the at least Somewhere in the second half of the time of the judges, if maybe not even closer to the end of the time of the judges, that the judges ruled. The only other kind of minor clue that we have is in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 as well, in a portion which I didn't read, which says this. uh, Again, in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. So we have another kind of small clue here that there was a famine that took place, um, which was the reason which Elimelech and his wife had to leave and uh, find food other places. However, uh, with my understanding, it's almost impossible to identify when this particular famine took place Uh, and occurred historically. Uh, We don't... Uh, In my study, I didn't find any specific famine that is mentioned during the time of the Judges that would have perfectly correlated or specifically, explicitly correlated with this famine mentioned here in Ruth. So, uh, But based on the genealogy alone, I think, uh, as I said before, we could probably conclude that the events of Ruth occurred during the second half of the time of the Judges. So we've talked about some of the historical cultural settings, that is, the time of events. I also want to talk about the location, uh, the locations mentioned, I should say, in the book of Ruth and help us kind of get a historical understanding of these places. Now, we'll learn that the events of Ruth took place primarily in two locations. Uh, Generally speaking, in Judah, but more specifically, we see that Ruth begins with Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, residing in Bethlehem. And uh, interesting enough, although I'm not an expert in Hebrew, uh, maybe someday I'll be a little bit more versed, uh, but what I do know of Bethlehem uh, in, in Hebrew, it literally, or it can be translated as a place or house of bread, house of bread. Oddly enough, or ironically enough, we could say, Elimelech was forced to leave this house of bread because of a famine in the land and a shortage thereof of bread and food and sustenance. So therefore, Elimelech moved his family to Moab. We see this. Uh, Let me read verses 1 through 5 and then we'll continue on here in this looking at the different locations so we read verse 1. It says, And a certain man of Bethlehem, this is in the middle of verse 1, of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab because of this famine, and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his wife, and the name of his wife's wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived, her two sons and her husband. So here in this uh, narrative, we find that Elimelech moves his family to Moab, which lies east of the Dead Sea, so pretty much uh, uh, directly east of Bethlehem, generally speaking. We do not know exactly why they chose to move specifically to Moab, other than that God had providentially planned for Ruth, a Moabite, to enter through a series of, we could say both unfortunate and fortunate events, to enter into the Davidic line in which we see King David arise and also uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The nation of Moab descended from the son of Lot named Moab. And we see this uh, in Genesis chapter thir- or excuse me, Genesis chapter nineteen. So I'll read uh, just a portion there of that account, Genesis nineteen. You can either turn there or follow along as I, as I read and you're listening. It says uh, in verse 36 of Genesis 19, Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. An unfortunate and uh, uh, very immoral event that took place there. Verse 37, The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. Verse 38, And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name ben Amin. Ami, he is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So we see here uh, the beginning or the roots of the nation of Moab being uh, that of the son of Lot, a result, again, of a very unfortunate and uh, immoral relationship between one of Lot's daughters and and Lot himself. We also know that historically the relationship between the Israelites and the Moabites was not a favorable relationship, primarily. Do you remember Balak who hired Balaam to curse Israel out of a fear of Israel? Balak was who? The king of Moab. We see this in Numbers chapter 21 verse 10 through chapters 22 and the events there of which uh, uh, how Balak again hires Balaam to curse Israel. We see that uh, that actually isn't what unfolds <laughs> of course uh, and uh, of course you could read that we also see in judges chapter 3 judges 3 let me read that to you another occurrence of this uh disfavorable relationship between Israel and the Moabites in judges chapter 3 verse 12 we see this and it right uh, in the author writes, "In the children of Israel, this is verse twelve, judges chapter three, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened uh, Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and uh, Amalek, went into Amalek, Amalek, and went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, eighteen years. Verse fifteen. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, a judge, the son of Gera the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And uh, we could go on to see how Ehud, uh, through the Lord's hand, delivered them from um, from Moab. But again, just another example of the. Uh, of the tension between these two nations. Later on, um, however, Solomon went on to build a temple for a Moabite god, uh, Chemosh, probably to appease one of his many wives. And uh, so we do see that there is a uh, synchronizing of at least the spiritual spiritual, uh, culture of the Moabites. However, later on, after Solomon builds this high place, or probably a temple to this Moabite god, Josiah would later destroy this place of pagan worship. And we see this in 2 Kings chapter 23. We can assume, though, as we look at the book of Ruth, that there was perhaps for a time a relatively peaceful relationship. Between Israel and Moab. As Elimelech, an Israelite by, uh, by nationality and blood, chose to settle down with his family in Moab for 10 years and furthermore allow his sons to marry Moabite women. So we can assume that at least there was some kind of peaceful relationship in which they were allowed to travel between both countries without much interference or fear of their life. I don't think Elimelech would have taken his family, as much as he cared for them, to a place of turmoil and possible uh, possible, uh, uh, rejection or even fear of their lives. So we've considered the timeline of events, or I should say the time in which the events took place. We've looked at the locations that are primarily uh, the primary focus of Ruth, that is Bethlehem and Moab. I also want to go on to and help us understand some of the themes and the purpose for which the book of Ruth uh, is written and what we can learn from it ourselves today we'll begin by thinking and looking at some of the characters which are mentioned that are prominent characters in the book of Ruth. And of course, we understand that the key character of the book of Ruth is Ruth herself. But other key characters would also include Elimelech, the father-in-law of Ruth, Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, and Boaz, a relative of Elimelech and the second husband of Ruth. The only other place Interestingly enough, that Ruth is mentioned is in the Bible, is in the genealogy of Matthew in chapter one, along with Rahab, who was also not an Israelite by birth. Let's just look there just for a moment uh, because it is an important text. And uh, I'm not going to say much on this. I'll let you go back and look at one of Pastor's uh, sermons in Matthew chapter one as he's begun his series in the gospel of Matthew. But in Matthew chapter 1, we see this uh, in verse 1. It says, uh, Matthew begins his gospel by saying this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez got Hezron. Notice that this uh, directly correlates and follows the pattern or the genealogy uh, of Ruth chapter 4. So we see um, that these names are both in Ruth and here in chapter 1. Verse 3, Judah begot uh, Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. If we would follow this genealogy all the way to the end. Of course, we would conclude in verse 16, where it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. A very important genealogy for us to understand. Sometimes uh, looking at genealogies can be, seem somewhat laborious, <laughs> but uh, they are important as it, we can uh, study and see how God has preserved the line of Abraham and the line of David, uh, and uh, of course, all the way to the, uh, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. We also want to consider a few key concepts. So we've looked at uh, some of the key characters, but also some key concepts under the themes and purposes of Ruth. One of these would be the idea of a kinsman-redeemer, a prominent uh, concept here that will be mentioned later in the book of Ruth. This concept is important to the storyline of Ruth and Boaz's relationship, and we'll look at that uh, respectively when we get to that in our study. And we'll discuss it uh, in further detail, what exactly a kinsman redeemer is and its ties to Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25. Another key concept is uh, the idea of gleaning in the field, which we see uh, uh, in the middle here of Ruth, and its ties to Leviticus chapter 19. And finally, uh, we'll consider this concept of the uh, Leverite marriage, which has a its ties to Deuteronomy chapter 25. And so just keep those key ideas, those concepts in your mind, and of course uh, we will address them as we study uh, the book of Ruth uh, and uh, as we, we uh, come to those different uh, ideas. Finally, under this, uh, this point of themes and purposes, I do want to look and consider just for a moment the purpose for which uh, this book is written. Now, from a literary perspective, we'll see and recognize that in the book of Ruth, there is a beautiful development of the theme of from emptiness to fullness. From emptiness to fullness. We see from the onset that Naomi, much like Job, may I say, is emptied of practically everything that she had. Of food, having to leave because of famine, of her home, of her husband, of her sons. But in the end she experiences complete filling and fulfillment through a daughter in law who is honored and has a good reputation with the other women of the city, may I say much like the Proverbs thirty-one wife, and who is and who fears God, we see this in Ruth chapter two, eleven, and bears Naomi, another son, quote unquote. Whom she can care for. Look with me at Ruth chapter four, verse fourteen, for just a moment. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Verse 14. Then the, the woman the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. You see here, perhaps now in fuller, that theme of from emptiness to fullness, from losing, perhaps, or practically everything she had of value to her, save her daughter-in-law's, to being restored, uh, having a restoration of, of her things which, uh, which she had value, which had value to her, including a grandson whom she mothered like her own son. Moreover, a primary goal or purpose that the author had in mind is this. Not just uh, this idea or idea from emptiness to fullness, but also this, an exaltation of David by telling the beautiful story of his roots, of his lineage, by which God preserved his lineage through, we might say, humanly unpredictable circumstances. However, in uh, addition to this primary goal, the author introduces other themes as well through the narrative in the process of developing this primary purpose. And we'll see that and we'll call them out as we go through our study. As we study the book of Ruth, our primary task is to understand the purposes for which the author wrote. I hope you always uh, undertake your study of God's word in that way. Oftentimes in narrative stories such as Ruth, it may be a little bit harder or more difficult to directly uh, understand those things because they're not always given as imperatives like love the Lord your God or uh, children obey your parents. Rather, uh, they're more implicit in their uh, in their interpretation and in their uh in how they're presented. That is to say, the authoritative meaning of the author is not found necessarily in the events described, but in the author's interpretation of the event. That is, his understanding of their causes or their nature or their consequences, the reasons for which these events took place. We can deduce these things by asking ourselves these questions as we study the book. Ask ourselves questions like this. What does this account tell us about God and His nature? What does it tell us about the human condition? What does it tell us of the world, the world around us, and the way in which the unbelieving react to these things of God? What does it tell us of the people of God, their collective relationship with Him? What does it tell us of the individual's believer's life of faith in God? As we work through the book of Ruth, we will hopefully find these answers to these questions and similar questions that we'll ask that will teach us what we are to learn from the book of Ruth. There are two more things that I want us to consider this evening in our kind of introductory material to the book of Ruth, and that is this the author and the literary style. Um, I'm not going to go much into this because uh, it is somewhat tedious, and though it is important, um, I'll I'll leave you to do some of the studying of this out on your own. So that's my homework assignment to you this evening. But uh, I will say this. uh, As far as the time of authorship, um, well, let me say this first. In any in any book that you study, we need to make sure we make a distinction between the time of events that are spoken about in the book and the time of the authorship. So in this case, the time of events we know explicitly are during the time of the judges. That's what Ruth chapter one verse one tells us. However, the time of authorship we know took place much further on, uh, and was not written you know during the time in which Ruth was alive or Boaz, but a later date. And I take, uh, I take the authorship uh, of Ruth to be uh, a pre-exilic date. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean before uh, the exile or deportation of, of the people of Israel and Judah. Uh, so before they go into captivity, uh, probably, likely, I say, sometime around Solomon's reign. Now, uh, others might have differing opinions. I know that other people do. Perhaps our pastor even has a differing opinion on this. Um, But one of the reasons for which I take this date of authorship uh, is that this time period uh, was known for its profound Hebrew literature. And uh, we know that because of some of the works in which Solomon himself uh, wrote in Proverbs, in uh, Song of Solomon, and uh, Ecclesiastes. And so, um, and one more reason as well, also in Ruth chapter 4, and this is a little bit more of a technical detail that we'll address when we get to it, but we see this kind of uh, author, we we see the author make this uh, note here in Ruth chapter 4, verse 7, where he says this, uh, in in respects to this customary practice that's taking place, at the city gates with Boaz. In verse 7 of chapter 4, it says this, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. So what we can deduce from this is that this no longer is the customary practice, or at least it's kind of evolved or changed over time because the author is helping uh, his audience, his readers, understand something that they were uh, inevitably unfamiliar with. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to make this note that this was a customary practice during the former times. So another kind of hint, this is a later date in which it's being written. So uh, these two things together... Uh, is why I take Ruth to be written sometime, again, later on, in a time when they would be unfamiliar with this practice, and also during the time period of Solomon because of the profound Hebrew literature that was being written at this time. Finally, uh, I want us to consider uh, consider with me, please, just a little bit of the outline of the book of Ruth. Uh, We see in chapters 1 verse 1 through verse 22, that Naomi is widowed and Ruth comes uh, to Israel with her. The details of that is we see at the beginning the deaths of Elimelech and his two sons in Moab after they had left Bethlehem and traveled and settled in Moab. We see that uh, Orpah returns uh, uh, to her family. However, Ruth stays with Naomi and both her and uh, Ruth, that is, and Naomi returned to Bethlehem. In, chapters, in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 23, we see that Boaz shows kindness to Ruth and Naomi and that Ruth happens upon the field of Boaz, something that I believe is uh, not just mere circumstance or coincidence, but God's, again, providence in this storyline. We see God or Boaz's kindness towards Ruth, and also uh, how Naomi advises Ruth to continue to glean from his field, as uh, Boaz has shown favor towards her. And then in chapter three, we see uh, this marriage proposal, as it were, perhaps a, a little bit more less customary to us than uh, and uh, different than what we have and do today, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Here again, we see Naomi advises Ruth uh, to go to Boaz uh, during, and to the threshing floor there, and, and how Ruth discreetly proposes uh, this Leverite responsibility to Boaz. We see that Boaz uh, here in Chapter 3 takes responsibility if uh, the nearer relative will not. And finally, in chapter 4, we see the redemption of Ruth, where Boaz makes arrangements before the city elders. We also see that Boaz marries Ruth, and they have a son, Obed. And we see, as we read just a moment ago, how uh, through this, Naomi is blessed. And finally, we see in the genealogy the lineage of David the king preserved by God's providential acts. Through this storyline, I hope uh, some of this introductory material hasn't seemed, again, laborious or mere technical details, but has helped, uh, if I can say this, enlightened your mind to uh, the the historical cultural setting in which uh, Ruth takes place, as well as some of the themes and purposes for which the Book of Ruth is written, and the things which we can glean from it, and finally the outline of Ruth and uh, the direction in which we will be heading as we go through our study in the book of Ruth. I normally, yeah, go ahead, Pastor. Do you take questions? <laughs> That's my, As I was beginning my sentence, I was going to say, I normally don't take questions uh, because of maybe, I don't know, afraid of what I haven't prepared, but uh, I will actually take any questions if you want at this time. I may not be, I'll be honest, I may not be able to answer them in full tonight, but I will at least take them and try to answer them in part and maybe more in full uh, next time we, we uh, continue our study here. Pastor, I assume that means you had a question. I do. All right. But, um, it for the I will. Uh, so, have you done any thinking about why the two young men non Yes. Uh, so, Pastor is asking the question if I have done any study on why. Uh, the two sons of Elimelech, uh, married foreign wives, uh, Moabites, by birth. Um, I did a little bit study, of studying on that, uh, knowing uh, in the back of my mind and from previous study that that was an explicit uh, command uh, given to the people of Israel to not marry foreign wives. Um, I'll say this, and I don't think there's an exception clause to this, but in my thinking, I do, if I remember right, that that command was maybe a little bit more directly um, stated towards the nations which were within the borders of Israel. However, I know uh, from other uh, examples in, in the Old Testament with uh, David or Solomon that uh, him or them marrying foreign wives, perhaps Egyptian wives, or other, uh, other nations that were outside the borders of Israel were looked neg- negatively upon. So we know that those uh, foreign uh, nations were then probably included in that command, that negative command. Uh, so I know that doesn't really answer your question in whole. Um, that being said, I, I don't necessarily look positively upon the fact that they married Moabite women. However, I do know this. For one reason or another, God providentially had that happen. And uh, we see the same with Rahab as well. And so I trust that God knew exactly what he was doing, uh, even if that happened through uh, more unfortunate or uh, disobedient ways. John has a question. Now, I think that's a very good uh, deduction that uh, the reason for famine would probably be because one of those nations had gone in, and uh, we know culturally and historically that uh, a way in which they would uh, defeat a nation, if I can say it that way, would by, be by destroying the cities or by burning the fields, You know, causing them to come to a state of poverty, really. And so it's very likely that Either that was amidst one of those times or on the back end of one of those times where they're trying to recover from uh, an invasion and uh, don't have the means to, you know, to provide at the time for their families. So, Does that answer your question? Okay. Very good. Any other questions this evening? All right, very well. Uh, I'm excited to enter into the study. I hope that you are too and that we can learn much from God's word as we look into the book of Ruth. Let's close with a word of prayer this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the worship that we could uh, enter into and as we sang about our Savior, as we sang about the work of our Savior on the cross uh, in which nothing but the blood of our Savior could pay for uh, the sins which we have committed and appease the wrath of God. We thank you, Lord, as our pastor has alluded to, that we have an advocate with the Father even to this day in which when we sin, we still have the forgiveness of God through our Lord Jesus Christ if we confess those sins. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for uh, these uh, narrative stories like Ruth which help us kind of uh, enter into these historical events on a more personal level as we walk through uh, the life of Ruth and how you both uh, preserved her and Naomi, but also on a greater scale, uh, the, the line of, of David, and as you had promised to do even from the time of Abraham and, and the promise to, uh, to bless both that and his nation— his people, and through him, all the nations of the world. We thank you for that. Lord, bless our way, our time this evening of fellowship. Lord, would you keep each one of these families safe as they travel home and a week of uh, enjoying uh, you and the joy of the Lord and the joy that we have in our salvation. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. For those who are online, we thank you for joining us today. And uh, I think Pastor has one more thing to say, and so uh, we'll let him take the remainder of our time.
0: Jansen, excellent message tonight. Thank you very much for that. Um, Just a couple of announcements. I want to remind you about uh, next Sunday morning, 945, special missionary guest by means of Zoom. So we will uh, get our technology back in order and try to get that working. That will be at 945. Uh, The Bronx from South Africa will be with us. Um, And then it seems like I was going to say something else. I'll see if I remember it just now. Do be in prayer for one another. Uh, Certainly be in prayer for uh, Kaylee and the little baby coming along hopefully very soon. I understand she got uh, permission today to not be here next week. Who was that? Was that Dan? Mr. Reeves, thank you if you're watching very much. He uh, he said last week she could not be missing today, but now she has permission, so I guess that means she can have the baby. Uh, he's, uh, he's a wise fellow, so we'll listen to him. <laughs> um, did you see in the uh in the bulletin this is just a little le- light thing uh about the uh Bronx they have a uh, ministry of addiction recovery and uh my wife uh, typed a bulletin and she missed the c in the word addiction recovery what are you left with Yeah they they uh they have an addiction recovery ministry and I said that's for uh recovering uh School students in their mathematics. <laughs> so, yeah, no, they really do have that ministry um, of addiction recovery, and uh, it's a very serious thing because uh, the he explained about some drug they use there, and I mean it is crazy. I mean all drugs are crazy, but I mean this one is like really nasty and uh, very deadly and uh, just cuts the lives short of its, uh, of its users so terribly. And so they're trying to recover some with uh, not only health but also with the gospel. So we want to continue to remember them and pray for that uh, situation. So all right. Jansen, again, thank you. God bless you. Have a good evening. We'll see you again soon, Lord willing. Amen.